Our scripture reading today is from Matthew 4, verses 11, 1 through 11. Okay. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Not so fast. Have you ever heard that before? Last Sunday, I had the opportunity to talk with a uh, teenager who was attending our service who is 15 years old. And just last night, I had a conversation with another 15-year-old. And it's a joy to be around 15-year-olds. Because there's something really big happening in the lives of 15-year-olds, most of them, actually. And what do you think that is? <laughs> a mom says, the mom with one of those 15-year-olds says, driving. <laughs> and that is true. Uh, and that is true for many of us, that, that uh, we experienced in our 15th year the beginning of that step of independence. Uh, many of us took a driver's education class uh, in school. Uh, nowadays, some of those are, are private organizations that uh, people take uh, driver's education in. Uh, but right nowadays, what you have is you get your driver's permit when you turn 15, basically. And you have a lot of hours that are required of you to log. And, and you have to do those drive, driving hours with a licensed driver right next to you. And even though you've gotten this permit, and you are really chomping at the bit to drive on your own, the state says, not so fast. And it's actually because they want to remind you, not so fast. Because it matters what kind of a driver you become. Because it's not just about getting out there and driving to your heart's content. It's about driving according to the rules of the road. Driving according to the way that everyone has to drive in order for our roads to be safe and for people to be getting from point A to point B. Many of us remember what it was like when we were told, not so fast. You have to wait for your 16th birthday. 
Here we're talking about prerequisites. Prerequisites. Some of us think of classes that we had to take before we got to the ones we really wanted to take. You know, no one really revels in the prerequisites, do they? This can happen in your career as well. You are formally trained for leadership in a particular field. But very few of us, when we get out with that credential, are offered a job at the top of the mountain, are we? It's usually an entry point into the bottom of the hierarchy. And we have to work our way up. We have to learn about the work, about the business, and not be handed leadership, but to grow into leadership in our career field. In a sense, we are being told, freshly minted from college or grad school, not so fast. This can happen even in retirement, when we think about getting involved in meaningful activities, we find ourselves ready to go in and share all of our great wisdom that we've accumulated and realize that those same hierarchies of, of earning the trust of others are true for volunteer experiences as well, oftentimes. And so there we are, being told, we're so glad that you want to do this. But if we're really raring to go, and go right to the top, we might be told, not so fast. In Matthew chapter 4, the testing of Jesus, the temptations of Jesus, are happening between his baptism and the beginning of his ministry. So Jesus has just been baptized, and he is probably just ready to go. He's been sent here for a purpose, and now He's been, he's been told that he has the blessing of God and it's time to begin. And yet the time of temptation in the wilderness is the Holy Spirit saying, not so fast. Not so fast. Now you might notice the irony here that the message of not so fast was communicated during a fast and the fact that fasting is all about slowing down. We might as well call it slowing. Fasting is a spiritual practice of giving up, primarily food in the traditional form, for a period of time in order to focus on God. It's about slowing down. When you fast, Physiologically, things slow down. Your body slows down. You, I, I, I was on a fast this last week at the beginning of Lent, and one thing that I learned, uh, a little bit painfully, it took me a while to adjust to it, my usual accustomed multitasking, where I have to keep like 12 different projects in my mind all at the same time, that went out the window. Fasting is not for multitasking. Fasting is about slowing down so that you can focus. So that all the distractions and the busyness start to melt away. And you're able to focus on what matters. You're able to hear the voice of God that otherwise maybe you didn't even pause to listen to before. It sounds strange, but it's true. Fasting slows us down. Moses 
fasted for 40 days and 40 nights prior to his revealing of God's law to God's people on Sinai. In like manner, Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, fasts for 40 days and 40 nights before revealing the gospel to the world. Lent is a 40-day season of observance that is a season of fasting. It's 40 days because of Moses. It's 40 days because of Jesus. That's why we do it. We prepare for a spiritually powerful experience of Easter. We follow in Jesus' footsteps, slowing down as Jesus slowed down. As he slowed down for 40 days after his baptism and before the beginning of his ministry. In different Bible texts, you will sometimes uh, hear and read of this time in Jesus' life being about temptations. And in other translations, you will read the word testing. And the Greek word could mean either one and likely means both temptation and testing. The difference here is when you realize the, that the Holy Spirit is the one who led Jesus there. When you look at it from that perspective, it's much more a time of testing for Jesus. Testing. Is he really firm on the message? Does, does he really, is he really prepared to go out there and face the world and stay rooted in what really matters. The Holy Spirit leads him into a time of testing. But in that time of testing, Jesus most certainly encounters temptations. Temptations whispered to him by the evil one, by Satan. The first test Jesus passed, I think is one that we often overlook and doesn't get listed, and that is simply heading to the wilderness and letting the crowds that he likely knew were just about to form and follow him around the land. Letting those clamoring crowds wait so that he could get things right. New Testament scholar and Whitworth University legend, Dale Bruner, speaks this in his commentary on Matthew. He says, in Matthew 4, we have the privilege of seeing up close how Jesus wards off spurious ministries. Bruner sees in this text, because it's a not-so-fast moment between Jesus commissioning in his baptism and the beginning of his ministry, this is how Jesus keeps his ministry in focus and on the right track the entire time. And in fact, it's likely true that the disciples saw Jesus respond to these very temptations in the midst of his ministry over and over again. And every time the disciples saw Jesus go away to be with God alone in prayer, That was another time where Jesus was going back to be fortified, to face the temptations of ministry. Each one of the evil one's temptations to Jesus 
are really about cutting corners. They're shortcuts. How tempting it is, isn't it? To want to get right to the result. Go back to when you were 15 and you have that driver's permit. How tempting it would be now that you know where the keys are and you know how to drive to just get in the car and go. There are three temptations, three shortcuts, or you might think of as fast tracks, that Jesus is offered by Satan. And Jesus says no to each one. Dale Bruner describes these in these three ways, and he uses the word cheap. Jesus says no to the temptation for cheap miracles, cheap manipulation, and cheap mastery. We know what cheap is, don't we? Not quality. Somehow the substance, the quality that we expected is no longer there. You know, I saw a, a, a video documentary recently that, that, that really kind of opened my eyes to why is it that consumer goods, especially tech goods, that we spend the same money on, the quality has gone down. Think about laptop computers. Um, we unearthed an old laptop computer uh, that we had around the church, and I was amazed. It was uh, built around like 2004. And this thing is chrome. It is beautiful. It's like a restored 50s hot rod car. It, it is sleek. It's beautiful. Now, you open it up and turn it on. It can't do anything anymore, okay? But, but I want to get to the form and function because the, the laptop that I work on is plastic. And not like hard, super cool, like space plastic. Cheap, soft, form plastic, you know, that, that you can easily scratch and gouge out. And you just hope, you hope you don't drop it. <laughs> But that that's, that's what it costs as the costs of, of increased technology make it more expensive. Companies are, in a sense, cutting corners. They're, they're cutting the quality in order to deliver these products to us at roughly the same price. So something's got to give. And if it's not the motherboard, if it's not the sound card or the video card, it's got to be somewhere else. And it's often the plastic. Same for our phones, too. But Bruner sees that Jesus is saying no to something that will cheapen his ministry. In the first temptation, the turn stone into bread temptation, the temptation here is really instant popularity. Instant popularity. If you're really who you say you are, prove it, Jesus. Prove it in a way that meets your needs immediately, but also a way that other people will know who you are. Would Jesus be tempted to do anything to get followers? I find it interesting that in the Instagram world and in the discipleship world, we're talking about the same thing, aren't we? Finding followers. How many followers do you have on Instagram? 
By the way, for those of you who are Facebook people, in Instagram world, you don't have friends, you have followers. But in the Christian world, in terms of being Jesus, as a discipler, you have followers. And so what would Jesus have done to get followers? There are many people who are on Instagram today who do practically anything to get followers. And their identity is on the number of followers they have. And they compare themselves to other people based on the followers that they can get. Would this be a temptation that Jesus would give into? And might it end up being a temptation for his disciples who are engaged in discipling ministry by his commission and command? Would we be too worried about getting followers for our churches? Would we be too worried about getting followers for our ministries that we would do anything and cut the corners? That we would fast track something before it's ready? That is what is at stake. In the second temptation, this is the temptation of the jump off the top of the temple temptation. The issue Jesus is dealing with here is spectacle. Spectacle. Is Jesus going to cut the corner or go on the fast track to amaze the world by doing something for show? Or will he pursue his mission of the kingdom of God one person at a time? One sermon at a time, one invitation at a time, one healing at a time, one loaf of bread at a time. Doing something for show. Falling more on the side of show than substance is a temptation that Jesus is dealing with here. It's a temptation that denies the importance of the journey itself for formation. If Jesus would have said yes to that temptation, it would have been a mighty scene indeed. Imagine, this day and age, if Jesus proved to this world who he was in this fashion. Imagine how many phones would be recording that moment. And how many looks that would get on YouTube. And it would be incontrovertible proof of who Jesus is. They'd know that, but guess what they wouldn't have? They wouldn't have the journey of getting to know Jesus one step at a time. One prayer at a time. One revelation through God's word at a time. One worship service at a time. One chorus from a praise song at a time. One encouragement from a sister or brother in Christ at a time. You know, there's a big difference between doing what, calls you to, what God calls you to do and it being noticed by others and devising activities in the church just so others will notice. In the middle of, of our... Uh, we're, for some of you who are new, you may uh, not know this, but we're in the middle of a kind of a strategic planning and envisioning season in our life as a church. And it's really important for us to identify with what Jesus is doing here in, in saying no to this temptation. Is that sometimes we don't really care about 
the substance of the ministry. We just want the results. So if it's inviting more young families into the church, we kind of speed right past the actual substance and content of what is happening in people's lives and what God is asking of us in terms of opening up our lives, us growing and becoming people who join Jesus in his ministry and who put our time and other resources on the line and invest in that. Sometimes what we would give just to have that silver bullet that just restores it to the way we remember it being back when. But Jesus chose not to just to devise activity in order to get seen by others. And we can be inspired by that and join Jesus on his fast. The third temptation is the worship Satan for worldly glory temptation. This has to do with success. It's not by accident here that Satan presents Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. The success. What do we do in our lives because we want to be seen as successful? What sacrifices do we make on that path? What sacrifices have we made? But further, going deeper, we might want to consider what compromises have we made in order to be successful in others' eyes? What is success, after all? Later in Matthew, Jesus would say these words, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit and lose their own soul? Friends, a congregation can lose its soul. It happens all the time. By God's grace, a congregation may not lose their soul. As we hearken to the voice of the Holy Spirit that says, not so fast, and brings us to really the heart of the matter, and that is, why is it so important for us to be seen as successful in the world's eyes? Are we doing it so others will celebrate us? Or are we doing it to be faithful to the living God? You see, this is the temptation that Jesus had in that moment. And it's a temptation we all face. We face it in our congregation. We face it in our various ministries. We also face it in our daily lives. Taken together, these temptations bring up questions that we often speed right past. In our present life, is the living God necessary? Is a crucified and risen Savior essential for our plan, to my plan for life right now? What about the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit the fuel that makes it happen from the very beginning? Or is the Holy Spirit just this icing on the cake that 
we call upon to bless something that we've already done all the work on. in our own life's journey, I think we might experience this as getting ahead of God. Getting ahead of God. Leaning into our own plans and also into the world's tempting trends. And then we find that we crash and burn and find ourselves isolated and alone and we need refreshment from God and we wonder where God is And while times like that happen, they come our way. Some of those times are times when we have gone ahead and we've left God behind. It's not God who's moved. It's us. You know, we don't know what would have happened if Jesus wouldn't have passed the test, speeding past the fast. But one thing we surely wonder is, how soon he would have burned out. And how much we would burn out if we were being driven to serve him in that way. His time in the wilderness was a surrender to his need for ongoing communion with God. A missional lifestyle that is built not simply on a desire to do things in the world, but also a desire to have a living, deep relationship with God. In each one of these temptations, Jesus surrendered not to the temptation, but to the will and word of God. Jesus surrendered to God. And for Jesus, it was strategic. It was strategic because It was for the purpose of doing the mission the right way, God's way. And our fast this Lent is also about being strategic to God's call. God is calling us forward. God is calling us to join Jesus on mission and do things. Bring the gospel to our community. But to do it for God and not for ourselves. It's a season of surrender. And that is why you will be seeing the white flag on the slides. The white flag is symbolic of surrender, and we'll see this throughout our journey. You know, U2 frontman Bono is uh, known for waving a white flag during his concerts. The way that he describes it is... He is a militant pacifist. And so he wants to get in our face. And he wants to proclaim peace. Now that comes from where he comes from. From a time when he grew up in Ireland. Where where religious people, Protestant and Catholics, were, were not only at war with each other, but they were killing each other. Bono came out with his autobiography last fall. And it's titled, Surrender. And he admits that, that early in his life as a rock star, that that white flag was symbolizing peace, envisioning a world without war and violent conflict. But he also shares that part of his spiritual journey in life 
that on that journey, the white flag became more of an image of his surrender to God. And I want us to take a note from that. And also to, just a, a, as a heads up, that probably during this, se- this series on strategic surrender, you might hear me mention Bono a couple more times from, from his autobiography that is titled Surrender. What might happen in this season of surrender for us? Where is the Spirit saying to us, not so fast? Where is the Spirit saying to you, not so fast? Say yes in your surrender to the Word and the will of God, knowing that it is the Holy Spirit who is with you, empowering you on that journey. Amen.